Hi, I'm Angela Lucier, a professional public speaker, seven-time author, two-time TEDx speaker, and CEO and founder of the Speaker Sisterhood, a network of public speaking clubs for women. And I'm Dr. Jolie Hamilton, a research psychologist, best-selling author, TEDx speaker, and ASEC certified sex educator. Together, we're the hosts of Claim the Stage, a podcast about speaking and sisterhood. If you've been a fan, you know I've been doing this show solo, and it's been all about public speaking for years. Well, that all changes now. Well, you're still talking about speaking on stage, but now we're also going to focus on the three things that you need to make an impact, your voice, confidence, and sisterhood. The show is a training ground to go from dreaming to creating. Right. And we'll still be doing interviews with expert guests. Plus, you'll also get more personal stories and insights from us as well. I'm really excited to see where this goes. Me too. And slightly freaked out. Yeah, me too. Welcome to the next chapter of Clay on the Stage. Back again. I don't have any like special opening to the show. I, every time I hit record, I'm like, oh, I wish I had a thing I always said, but I don't. Well, now Ken and I have a thing but on Project Relationship, but now I feel like it's super weird because we say it the same every time. So I don't think there's a win. You, there's no way to win on this. Like, What do you say? Um, we always say, I always say, welcome to Project Relationship. I'm Dr. Jolie Hamilton. And, him, and then he says, and I'm Ken Hamilton. And it sounds fine the first couple times you do it, but now we're on like episode 22 and I'm, it's so weird. It just sounds super weird now. Okay. Don't know why, but yeah. I feel like we should do a secret handshake, but the, the version you can do through Zoom. So it's like some, some rehearsed. <laughs> Synchronized Zooming. We could like, we could pretend to swim. I don't yeah. Know. All right. I'm going to put some thought into this. We'll get back to it for a future episode because it's on my mind now. Okay. Anyway, today we're talking to Paula Leach about the anxiety of speaking up in relationships. And you and I have had this conversation before when you were a guest on the show, but we're really diving into that specific topic of anxiety, which is different from fear. And you and she actually kind of talk about that a little bit in the episode too. And as, as you were talking about what do you call anxiety fears little stepbrother or something? I, I said, um, it's, it's fears bullying little brother. Like, it, <laughs> cause fear comes out with this like big, like, ah, right. It's like survival instincts, but anxiety is obnoxious and won't leave you alone. And like, just annoying as heck. And, and also has all these negative messages for you. Mm-hmm. Yay. Present. Nobody asked for. Yeah. So, yeah. It yeah, is think, related to fear, but it's not the same exact thing. Yeah. I love that there's a differentiation because I, I noticed that I always talk about these two things because they're so closely related to public speaking, but I don't think I ever really defined how they're different. So this is a good episode for that, for sure. And for so many other things, Paula talked a lot about recognizing the difference between your anxiety voice versus your real voice and knowing what's really you. And that is so powerful if you can start practicing that. And she kind of goes into more detail about how to do that. So I won't ruin it for everyone. But as soon as she said that, I thought, oh, I'm excited to try that now because I don't think I've really tried to to separate them. Have you ever done that? 
Yeah, well, I work on voices a lot. So I was glad to hear her mention it. I work on voices because I, I use voice as one of the ways to differentiate complexes. So complexes for me, like these, these like autonomous figures that sort of exist in us and they wind up having voices. We all hear these dialogues inside. So what I was hearing from her was a confirmation that, yeah, some of those dialogues aren't really our actual self, but most of us weren't taught to differentiate. I, that's it's not part of the conversation, you know. And I've and I have even worked on teaching my my teenagers how to differentiate. It's hard. What I've noticed is when I ask them to, they struggle to. They're you know they're between thirteen and twenty one now, and they struggle. I we because they're not they're not actually capable of it yet in some ways. You know they're still learning how. So and the voices are still taking form. So it's not surprising to me that we get to our thirties and forties and we're like, wait, isn't that all me? I I thought it was all me. Um, because it's a skill to actually figure out how to how to separate those those messages and voices from the stuff that is something that we could actually claim as oh that's that's really me that's the that's the me who i know to be central and the me i want to be mm-hmm. i think it's a skill worth cultivating for sure cuz yeah. there are so many times where we're in a situation where we're uncomfortable saying what we want to say but saying the thing is what's going to make all the difference in so many ways, whether it's for career advancement or building intimacy with someone or mending a fence with someone. There's just so many reasons why having a relationship with that voice can help help you. Was there anything in the interview that stood out to you? There was. um, Paula said something that was spot on for me about how your partner can't, they're a whole separate person from you. And I, I think that that sounds really basic, but when you start to think about what we actually expect from your partner, when, especially when you're coming, if you come into a conversation with like anxiety and, and you're nervous about bringing something up, we so often are looking for complete alignment with our partner. Like we're not looking for our partner just to stand there and say, oh, okay, I, I hear that. Um, I totally disagree with you. That's not what we want. We come in with the anxiety voice saying, if they don't totally agree with us, ah, what will happen? Yeah. And I heard her just open up a little space for like, hey, actually, your partner is a totally separate person. You are a totally separate person. Right. As soon as I can pull that image to mind, I'm reminded that it's okay that my partner and I do not agree on a particular subject, but also on like how we should approach our sex life or what we need to do together right now as we you know, deal with pandemic nonsense. We don't have to come into perfect alignment. So that could allow me to actually come back to myself and not just have the anxiety voices ruling a conversation. I, I just thought it was, it's such a simple idea that I think we we believe we're living in a lot of the time, but <laughs> but if we were, would we expect our partners to be totally open and, and in alignment? Would we, would we expect that total overlap? Think we wouldn't. So I thought that was just a, a, a glorious little moment. Yeah, absolutely. I noticed, you? well, <laughs> about three quarters of the way through the interview, you might remember I asked her a question about how to speak up about sex and physical intimacy. And as I was asking the question, my internal temperature went up like 20 degrees. <laughs> and my, <laughs> and I, I, lo- <laughs> you know, I looked at myself in the, you know, in the Zoom and 
I was like, wow, my face is so red. Just asking this question is so uncomfortable. And as she was answering the question, I just totally shut down. And I was like, I can't ask a follow-up question to this because I'm not even paying attention anymore. Like I lost it. I totally lost it just asking that question. So I thought, oh, there's there's a whole area <laughs> that I could probably look into for myself around the anxiety of speaking up about sex and physical intimacy. And then you think thankfully jumped in with another direction for the conversation. Cause I was like, I don't even know what I would say. After this. <laughs> I think that you're bringing up exactly what the point of talking about this is though. You speak vulnerably on stage. I've seen you do it. It's, it's great. And yet that doesn't mean that every area of, of speaking feels like a totally confident, comfortable I'm in my zone. Yeah. It's, you don't need to have, and you don't need to have figured it all out. Um, Sex throws a lot of people off their games and nobody thinks that's supposed to be true. (laughs) Yeah. You're making me talk about stuff. I don't want to talk about on this podcast. (laughs) Let's see. We've got race, disability, sex, um, then sex again. We're going to talk about masturbation soon. Oh no. Oh yeah. Femininity. Yeah. Femininity. Yeah. (laughs) All good. I feel like you, you're playing a trick on me. You're like, okay, so that this show used to be about you asking people about things they're uncomfortable about, but now I'm going to make you talk about stuff you don't want to talk about. This was a collective prank. We all <laughs> got together collectively and we were like, you know what? Let's make Angela just a little bit uncomfortable. It'll be fun. But like every time we'll see whether we can, it, the secret is we actually, there's a temperature seeking pad in your chair. So we're actually monitoring. This is all an experiment. It's for science. Like how much it's butt for- sweat is there on this episode? Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. A butt sweat metric. I like that. <laughs> I'm going to start bringing my blankie to all these, all these interviews. I just can't. Yeah, Like a little, a little self-soothing, like just rub <laughs> the satin edge of the blankie. I like that. That seems reasonable. All right. Anyway, let's talk about something that is comfortable working. I love the topic of working. What are you working on right now? Oh, great. Okay. I know why you asked that. I'm going to talk about butt sweat. I'm standing up and I'll still notice. I'll get a whole drizzle going on. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I'm in that hole in that place where we get when like there's too many ideas and I could go in so many directions. I'm working on keeping my head above water right now. And that's okay. I like, I I feel like I'm giving myself permission to be in that space. I've got another like six weeks to this semester and it's just a really intense time, but, but I also am really loving, I'm working with some clients right now. I I had said a few weeks ago that I was taking on -on one-on-one clients again, and I'm almost full. I have like a couple spots left, but, um, I, I'm, I am feeling very invigorated by that work. And so rather than designing something new or building something new or whatever, like that's all happening in the background and it is get, definitely giving me the butt sweats, but <laughs> I'm also doing this one-on-one work that is feeling deep and um, I feel so rooted and grounded when I'm doing that work. It feels like exactly what I was put on this earth to do. Um, and I didn't know it. I, I didn't, you know, I keep moving away. I keep moving into like bigger spaces. And then I come back to this space where I'm like, oh yeah, but I love being in the room with one person, listening to their stories and offering that, that bit of insight, that like little bit of that little twist. So that self-awareness is like within reach. Cause I can't give anybody the answers, 
but I can, I can open a window for some new knowledge to make itself apparent. And so that's where I'm getting joy and actually enjoying my work. I love that you're discovering that or rediscovering (laughs) that at least, you know, Yeah. even though you've been trying to really focus on building something scalable and something that you can get a lot of people into at once, it's like, oh, but you know what? I really just like this. And you're giving yourself the permission to do that. And that's, that's really nice. Yeah. I, and I, and I've done a good job of now now carving it out. Like it's on two days a week. It's not taking up all the time. So there's time to scale. There's time to do school. There's time to do all these other things, but um, yeah, maybe, maybe it's about not, not making myself do any one particular thing. That's just not me. I'm a multi-potentialate kind of person. Yeah. I don't think I can do just one thing. I don't even want to. Yeah. People love to tell me to pick one thing and then I flip out and all I do is add 10 more things. Yeah. That's a bad message to give a Jolie. Like Jolie is the the mouse and give a mouse a cookie. She's going to want more. You can't do it. Yeah. Does well, Max have give a mouse a cookie? Actually, I think he just got it yesterday. Okay. Well, you're yeah. about to meet my, my little persona. Okay. In book form. I will read it tonight. For sure. <laughs> so what are you working on? Because it's probably more interesting than that. Well, actually, it's it's not. It's the opposite of what you're doing. I, I got to hit the point that you're at right now, which was complete overwhelm, exhausted, just feeling like my my work was running me again and had to say, wait a minute, I'm the boss. I'm in charge of this company. The company is not in charge of me. So what happened again? And I I would love to say this is something that I don't go through often, but I do go through it often because I get excited and I think about this big grand plan I have and then I execute it. And then I, as I'm doing it, I'm realizing, oh, this is way more than I thought. This is taking longer than I thought. This is requiring more thought than I thought. (laughs) And then I wear myself out. So I'm taking another step back to think about what is sustainable? What can I work on that will bring me joy and be fulfilling and not take up every hour of my free time. Cause I'm starting as I'm like getting back into working after like the COVID sort of break and maternity leave, I'm realizing, yes, I have a baby and the baby requires a lot of energy and I don't want to be exhausted and cranky around him all the time because I'm so tired from working. Like I want there to be space for him and I want to enjoy motherhood while also being able to run a business. So I'm in the midst of figuring that out right now and just kind of taking a little bit of time to refill my cup and not pressure myself to have an answer tomorrow. But I'm I'm in the midst of, a, it's not a challenge, but it's a commitment to 30 days of receiving. So I'm lying down and setting a, a timer for 30 minutes every day and just like trying to get in touch with my body and asking myself questions like, do I want to make another online course? Do I want to build another corporate club? Do I, you know, and trying to see how all of that shows up in my body. Cause I tend to make decisions from my brain and I want to make more decisions from my body and the wisdom of my body. And it's so funny because what the last three interviews we've done on the show, the advice has been about get in touch with your body. body <laughs> I'm like, wow. Um, yeah. And the last conversation I had with my therapist was about paying attention to how things feel in your body. I'm like, okay, I think the message is, is right there in front of me. Now I just need to listen to it and try it. And, and the, the receiving part is not just about receiving information, but it's about being able to receive 
just the energy back that I've given out so much. Cause there's been this, I've had this mindset of like, I have to keep doing, I have to keep building, I have to keep making things. And when you're always doing that, it's like hard for the energy to return back to you because you're always pushing it out. So I'm trying to just open up to the idea of getting things back and not doing anything for it to, to see what happens. And then part of me is like, is that possible? But another part of me is like, well, you've never tried it. So how would you know? <laughs> so let's try it. I mean, there are ancient concepts at work there. There are tantric concepts at work um, in, in that idea of receiving of, of like, and in Western culture, we often don't pay attention to what it means to actually receive. There's, we don't place much value on it. We place value on productivity. And so what, what in fact is the value of receiving? Mm-hmm. It's, um, and then, I mean, we could tie it right into femininity then because from almost any other culture, receiving is tied to femininity. It's tied to like just even the image of the bowl or the cup, right? The, the womb. So of course it's devalued here. <laughs> Yeah, we're still busy smashing the patriarchy, right? We're not done. So if we if you take that time, I'm loving that just just like a 30 day commitment to yourself for 30 minutes a day. Um, I mean, that's more conscious receiving than I have practiced this year, for sure. Even though it is top of my mind a lot, that doesn't mean I do it. There's something really special. I'm I'm really appreciating the. Yeah. So how am I going to actively participate in that rather than just think I want to receive because what it stays in your head and never really transitions into your body and into the the space mm-hmm. I'm seeing you make some space in your life so that yeah. you can receive can't yeah. receive into a you know like you you can't pour water onto a countertop it doesn't receive anything it just <laughs> goes everywhere that's a perfect analogy yeah so that's what I'm up to. I'll give updates as I go, but let's introduce Paula and we'll get into the interview. Paula Leach holds a bachelor's degree in family and human development from Arizona State University and a master's degree in family therapy from the University of Massachusetts, Boston. She's also an ASECT certified sex therapist and worked with individuals, relationships, and families in private practice in Quincy, Massachusetts for over 10 years. In that time, Paula received ASECT certification as a supervisor of sex therapy and co-founded a sex therapy agency and training institute where where she saw clients in addition to training therapists to become competent, confident sex therapists themselves. Paula continues to regularly present at various training institutes as well as universities and therapy agencies across the U.S. So she's all in it. She is. And, yeah. and she has a wonderfully present sense of what it is to actually to show up as a therapist and to be doing her own work. That's, that's one of my favorite things about her. Yeah. I loved this conversation. And I think anyone who struggles with speaking up for what they want will get something from it. So without further ado, our interview with Paula Leach. Paula Leach, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. 
We're very excited to talk with you. I know Jolie and you have some background of working together or just being in the same field. And this is my first time talking to you. And I'm excited to learn more about your take on how to deal with anxiety when speaking up in relationships. And this whole podcast has been about speaking up in various ways. And I've had Jolie on the show before she was a co-host to talk about this subject. And it's a popular one because even if we become really good public speakers, it can be really hard to talk to someone one-on-one about the things that matter to us. So I'm excited to ask you your take on that and what we can do to improve. But I thought before we jumped into that, maybe you could share a little bit of your background and how you got into this field because it's so fascinating and I think it takes a lot of courage to want to talk about this day in and day out. (laughs) Oh my goodness. I didn't know how much courage it took beforehand. (laughs) And I think that that's a thing, right? It's like we don't know really what this work sort of asks of us until, or any work until you're there. But um, so, yeah, so I'm a ASEC certified sex therapist and um, certified sex therapy supervisor. So I train therapists to do the work of sex therapy. The story of how I got here, I could spend several hours um, getting into it, but the, the short version is that I was a painfully, like a lot of people, most people, painfully insecure kid and adolescent and very self-conscious of how I looked um, and felt really uncomfortable in my body and really confused about sex and sexuality despite my family's best efforts because my parents are both really sex positive people, very comfortable talking very openly with me about it, have always done that, which is fantastic. But um, feeling so uncomfortable within my own skin, it was never something that um, it was it it always felt like a performance to me or something that I needed to do to get something else or to get love or connection or attention. And so um, not understanding it, I think, fed a fascination with it um, that just brought me here. In addition to things that I realized um, later on in adulthood that obviously brought me here as well, like sexual trauma in my family and my relationship to that, um, that I didn't even know that I had all these years. Um, so a complicated mix of things, but, um, you know, the big thing is just like fascination. I always it was like, oh, I bet aliens are kind of looking down on earth and watching us like have sex and dance and being like, what are they doing? Why are they doing that? <laughs> and I, I relate. I was like, yeah, I get, you know, yeah, I feel that way too. So just confusion, discomfort, the whole thing is what brought me into sex therapy, I think. Um, and so it's been very healing for me and doing the work, training to become a sex therapist. And then also being a sex therapist has been very healing for me. Great. What do you find is the most common reason that people have anxiety around speaking up in their relationships? Oh, oh my goodness. Um, so, you know, anxiety is a tricky beast in that it, it pulls typically content from like things that have happened in your life, experiences that you've happened, that have happened or that you've experienced in your relationship or beyond, or even things that you've sort of witnessed or lessons that you've learned going in through life. And it then projects those things onto the future. And so I think a lot of times in relationships, people go, oh, well, 
this conversation that we had was really hard or this conversation that we had five years ago about this or five months ago about this went really poorly. And so I'm expecting a similar outcome or a similar kind of reaction um, or difficulties in my relationship as a result of going there. And so it is just um, anxiety is a really great storyteller and it's a bully in that way and that it doesn't really show us what potential positive outcomes could come from this typically. It just shows us the catastrophe, the ways that things are going to break down um, or not work out. And so, yeah, pulls that information and projects some ugly narratives, ugly stories onto what could possibly happen here and how this is going to have a negative impact on your relationship with your partner. And then, you know, we react to those stories like they're real and then we avoid as a result. So so most of the time it is um, things that have gone on in the relationship prior that have created this sense of, oh, I better not rock the boat or I'm just really afraid that this is going to happen again. Um, so I'd say the, the past largely. What do you advise people do when they're facing that anxiety in the moment in order to be able to say what they want to say? So a lot of what we try to do in therapy is we try to um, work to differentiate the person from the therapy or, or the person from the anxiety. So separate the person from the anxiety, get to know the anxiety, how it shows up in their life. Um, what its agenda typically is, how it can sort of um, show itself as a distinctly separate voice compared to other thoughts that they may have. Um, And as they get to know the anxiety as something separate, they can identify it when it shows up, which instantly creates a little bit of distance from it. And in doing that, we can ask ourselves, do I want to trust these feelings or these thoughts? Do I want to follow their lead? And, and maybe go back to the drawing board and decide how I need to approach this conversation differently next time or how I might prepare myself better. Or do I want to simply notice these are stories. I don't need to trust them. Um, I have trusted them in the past and they haven't gotten me anywhere. And so I'm going to take this risk because you know, often it does, it is, it's a risk. We don't know how our partner is going to react. They could very well react similarly to the last time. Um, Or it can be completely different because we're constantly changing. So identifying the anxiety, asking ourselves if we want to let any of that in, we want to trust any of the information that it's bringing or go in a different direction um, is typically what we work to do. Do you have an example of what an anxiety thought sounds like or versus Mm. what my thought sounds like? Because I would think if you're new to trying to differentiate, it might be hard to know the difference because they all just seem like my thoughts, right? (laughs) Exactly. They all just seem like our thoughts. And so we just trust them, which is the challenging piece. So an anxiety thought can look like, um, so you're going to approach your partner, you're going to talk about potentially like we haven't had sex in a couple of weeks. What gives? Um, so it could be there, you know, you're going to mess this up. There's no way you don't even know how to talk about this. Um, they're going to get so upset with you. This is going to be a disastrous conversation. Um, who are you to even speak up about this? Um, maybe they've got a lot going on in their life and you're just going to cause them more, you know, more stress or more pressure or whatever. So, so there, you know, all these sort of like negative outcome ideas or thoughts that we then just, again, it kicks up this storm within us. And our natural response to anxiety is to avoid. So, 
I have to ask then, I because I agree that most people's natural response to anxiety is to avoid. But what about the people like me whose natural response to anxiety tends to be to lean in and be a bit aggressive? Um, Because I I know it's not the typical, but it does exist. And sometimes I see too, like I see clients who they have the avoidant pattern, but their partner has this like, I feel anxious, so I'll cut it off, right? Like I will get ahead of that. Yeah. What would you say about that? Yeah, you know, we uh, we talk about that in couples therapy is like the pursuer distancer dynamic. Like when anxiety shows itself, one person tends to back way off. One person will then go forward, go harder. So I'm really glad you brought that up. And similar process. Um, I want to get to know with the client. So, you know, I apologize. I'm always going into like what happens in my office. This is like my world. So um, I want to get to know, again, what does this anxiety look like? What kinds of thoughts are typically associated with it? What is your reaction to it? How do you, what does it stir up inside of you? What kinds of sensations show up in the body? And then how do you react to those sensations? Do you tend to withdraw? Do you tend to shut down? Do you tend to go harder? You know, now there's an urgency because anxiety, you know, it's energy, right? And it feels like, um, it can feel like excitement. It can feel like aggression or it can feel like, you know, fear. It can feel like all kinds of different things. And so sometimes that amped upness can get us moving and pushing rather than shutting down and going the opposite direction. So really good point. And the same thing, we want to identify that, um, in couples therapy, we talk about when you, when that like whoosh feeling shows up when suddenly like whoosh, you know, uh oh, I've gone from zero to 60, mm-hmm. similar kind of thing. I would want to understand at what point do you feel this like sensation build where suddenly, oh my goodness, I've got this tightness in my chest. I'm sweating a little bit. I'm feeling this urgency. This sense of urgency is an indicator to me that I am feeling anxious and that my anxiety is here and is at the wheel. How can I pry its sticky fingers off and get out in front of it myself? What do I, I need to do? I really appreciate that because that sense of urgency, I have felt it act out so differently from my typically avoidant partners and friends. I tend to be friend and partner with people who are avoidant. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it looks so different to be the person who's urgent. And it looks as if I wouldn't have, like, it doesn't look like classic anxiety and yet it is. And I, what I noticed is when Angela and I started working on my anxiety around speaking, I was going to give my TEDx speech and we were talking about my anxiety and simply noticing that mine was coming up and feeling in my body a certain way. It let me name it as anxiety, even though it didn't look and sound exactly like Angela's anxiety. It didn't have the same, um, it didn't have the same patterns. It wasn't the same script Yep. And so I wasn't recognizing it as anxiety because in general, I don't think of myself as anxious to speak, yeah. anxious to speak up at home, anxious to speak up on stage. And yet the anxiety was causing a real problem. Anxiety is like fears, like bullying little brother, right? Like it, like it's like naggy and difficult. So it's harder for us to wrap our, our brains around. I'm, I'm appreciating that it can show up so uniquely so do you go right to the body sensations then? Is, th- is that like one of the first places where you ask people to identify it? Body sensations are, yes, absolutely a really important piece. Because again, I mean, we, you know, we go into this, um, you know, it's, 
to varying extents, but a lot of us go into like a fight or flight place and we're off to the races at that point, you know? And so, um, so we're in that headspace. And so trying to sort of bring ourselves back to what's happening in the body and what's happening to sensation automatically helps us to slow down anyways, bringing that sort of mindfulness component to it. And this is, to me, this is all mindfulness work really. Right. Um, but yes, identifying sensations, um, and we can work with sensation sometimes, you know, easier than we can work with thoughts or feelings. Um, and then moving to, okay, now how can I be intentional about how I want to react to this? What kinds of moves do I want to make knowing that this is here? Because, you know, again, we create a little bit of space from it by virtue of naming it and then coming to sensation, but it, it doesn't necessarily lift it completely right. So then we have to make choices about um, how we want to move forward. And, you know, and going back to your other point, I think it's really important. Um, interesting that there tends to be with that like kind of like push um pursuer type of energy there's um there's often a fear of like not being heard like you're you're not going to hear me I'm not going to be able to get my point across we're not going to be able to complete this conversation and so we have to go 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 because um we're also often talking with couples about needing to take timeouts needing to protect needing to take productive timeouts, responsible timeouts, which means I'm taking responsibility for my experience and saying, I'm getting really amplified. I'm getting really upset. Um, I'm not able to continue to have a productive conversation. So I need to take 10 minutes or whatever. Um, That's not usually how it goes. It's usually like you're getting, you know, you're way over the top. You're out of control. I'm taking a break. Right. And then the pursuing partner goes, oh, no, 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 no. We're not done. You know, because it also feels like a power play, which nobody likes. Like you're shutting me down. I don't think so. But there's that urgency of like, I'm not you're not going to hear me. I'm not going to get my point across. I'm not going to be able to tell you how I really feel. You're not understanding. Um, So that tends to be one of the like big anxiety fueling thoughts as well with the more pursuer, you know, pushy type of energy that shows up and especially in couples and relationships. That makes sense. When you getting back to what we were talking about earlier, cause I, I've just kind of, it keeps coming up in my mind as we're talking about being able to differentiate between the anxious thoughts and your, your own thoughts. Do you recommend that people write them down in a journal so they can see them in front of them or what's the next step once they are able to identify that they're different. What do they do with that information? Journaling is a fantastic way. Um, so in sex therapy, I'm a really big fan of a technique called sensate focus. And what we do with sensate focus is um, we use mindful touch with the body. Um, very, very slow, very basic at first. Um, And it's just, you know, your arms or your legs or your torso. And then we move towards what are considered typically the more erogenous zones, even though the whole body is, you know, an erogenous zone. Um, And people start to notice, folks start to notice as they slow way down and come into their body in this way, how anxiety shows up, where it tends to live, um, thoughts that accompany it. And as they learn about it, as, as this stuff shows up, they take note of it. And I often ask that they journal about it after because sometimes just sort of like stream of consciousness journaling gives us lots of information around what's really at play here. Um, if there's, if this anxiety is calling our attention to anything in particular um, and from there, what we need to look at or what we need to work on a bit deeper 
Um, so journaling is a fantastic, um, a fantastic avenue. But as people get to know their anxiety and they start to be able to potentially piece together themes, like, oh, this tends to show up in this context where I feel really vulnerable, for example, like in my relationship with my partner, when, when they look at me and they pay me a compliment, I get really, really anxious. And I, my brain instantly goes to, well, that couldn't possibly be true. And they're just telling that they're just saying that because they have to, or da, 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 right. Like really nasty stories again. Well, that's really interesting. This tends to show up for me here. And then what I encourage folks to do is sort of trace that back. Um, let's look at the history of your relationships and let's look at what it meant to sort of be seen by people in your life that were important to you and, um, and what your experience of that was like. And if you ever felt, um, like you weren't seen or you couldn't be seen or you didn't have access to someone who was really important to you. So this is where we start to understand the building blocks of this stuff. Um, and the, the things that really give it ammunition and the important messages as to why this anxiety, this particular thread of my anxiety is here now and how I can potentially work on it, how I can potentially in this, in a situation like this, challenge myself to again, recognize as my partner is, you know, lovingly looking at me and paying me a compliment that th this is my anxiety. Um, this is a feeling that's here, but it's overstayed. It's welcome. And I'm safe here and I can allow this in. And so we notice it and instead of like, ah, uh, you know, doing the thing where I'm in my head and I'm going, oh, it doesn't really mean, I can say, I understand why this is here now and I can feel it and I can still challenge myself to receive this thing, right? Um, so it can be complicated. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a therapist, <laughs> you know. <laughs> what about as it pertains to I mean, I guess you sort of are talking about it right now, intimate, physical intimacy and sex, specifically wanting to speak up about how you want to be touched or that you don't want to be touched on a particular day, like all of that stuff. I don't even know what my question is, but it just seems like it would bring up even more anxiety. <laughs> and is there another technique when you're at a deeper level of anxiety of maybe just even shutting down or rejecting the thought that you could even say that out loud? going yeah. beyond having a difficult conversation about, you know, a disagreement you had earlier in the week, but that, that topic. You know, um, this is really challenging for a lot of folks, for most of us, because we're not, you know, we're not taught how to talk about it. And so then we just don't. Um, and so it feels, you know, especially you've been in a relationship for any amount of time and, you're bringing something like this up maybe for the first time, or you're wanting to talk about it in greater depth, maybe, you know, for the first time, or this is just a rare occasion where we do. Um, it's really, it's really about taking, it's really, to me, it's really about um, taking that risk. And I think that relationships ask us to take risk and risks in an ongoing way. Um, relationships ask us to bring more and more of ourselves to the table over time. And, um, and that is scary at different points for different reasons. And I think these conversations are, you know, are really a matter of like, okay, again, this feels really scary. I haven't done this. I don't have very much experience with this. I don't know how my partner is going to react to this. This could go catastrophically. And, and 
this is really important to me. And there's the potential for really great stuff to come out of this conversation. So, so also kind of, um, you know, being the counterpoint to the anxiety stories. So here's the anxiety stories about all the things that could go wrong, but here's all the things that could go really wonderfully right. And so given those things, am I, am I willing to take this risk? And am I willing to jump and see what happens and hold in mind that my partner is always changing and that maybe a conversation that we had five years ago, you know, is completely uh, irrelevant at this point. And oftentimes it is. And why don't I give my partner the opportunity to surprise me? Yeah. And we can be transparent. We can be transparent about it. I'm a big fan of transparency and saying, this is really hard for me to talk about. We haven't really talked, we don't talk about this much in our relationship, or we haven't talked about this particular thing. I'm feeling really nervous, but I feel like it's important to bring to you and, and bringing that transparency at the forefront, um, I think is always a fantastic idea because again, it is in a way naming the anxiety, which um, helps us sort of like take a breath and venture in and take that risk and jump, you know? I find that people often forget that their partners are changing, even though they recognize that they are changing. <laughs> They're aware of their changes, but it's it's hard. And we, we, we pin our partners to some statements they may have made five minutes ago, but also five years ago, 15 years ago. And they 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 get this weight, like these weighted statements that we decide. I've had conversations, like one that comes up, um, I tell stories about a lot, conversations where people think that they've come to an agreement. Um, they think their partner, they believe their partner has told them that, for instance, they don't ever want to be touched when they're having their period. Um, and, and so, and a partner totally like takes that in one time, they were given this message of, hey, no, I don't want to be touched. I'm sensitive. They take it in, they turn it into a whole story. And that can go on for five, 10, 15 years. And we, and then, and then the, the anxiety for me is how, how do you then redress that? How do you take the risk? But also how do you allow your partner? How can you set up the conversation to skillfully enter a space where you actively say, it's okay if your answer is different or changed? Like, how, can we, can we start over again? Could we have this as if we've never talked about it? Do you have any specific techniques that you recommend to help people get out of that idea that they know the answer already? And there could be something new. So here, so, so this is, um, it's interesting that you bring that up. Cause I was just talking to some of my supervisees this week about this. Um, I don't have any specific techniques. Um, here's how I use tech. Here's my relationship to techniques, my relationship to techniques. And this is why, um, I'm horrible at social media because I like getting better all the time. Oh my gosh. I'm horrible <laughs> at it because me and like, um, generalized ideas or like statements, I get so nervous about them. And this is what I love about therapy is like, I get to know the uniqueness of you, the uniqueness of your relationship. And then we construct techniques or pluck techniques that we think would be effective from there. Right. And so it's like my brain kind of like goes into like this, like, <laughs> like frozen place when I'm talking about like just techniques in general. Um, and it may even be just that word that I have like a, you know, a little complex around it. It like shuts me down. I'm like, ah, um, you know, because yeah, I just, um, 
I don't have any like go-to strategies other than, you know, well, like I said, I mean, you know, transparency, I think is important. Naming our feelings right off the bat, I think is important. The simple reminder, front of mind, you know, front of mind going into the discussion. um, That more, could you explain front of mind? So um, the, you know, holding an awareness, holding in the front of your, like, you know, this is something I'm thinking about as I'm moving into this conversation. I'm reminding myself as I'm stepping through. So I, so we often, I, also, I often remind couples or have them remind themselves um, that I love this person before I go into a conversation or before they I'm- They time themselves. Yes, like I'm about to enter into con- conflict potentially or an argument or disagreement. I love this person. I love this person. We're on the same team. We've encountered something, something has landed in our relationship that is stirring up a little bit of trouble, but we are on the same team and I love this person. So holding that sort of front of your awareness as you walk in. I, I got it. I have to tie that in. This is fascinating because we just had a conversation about sales where we talked about the importance of showing up to a sales conversation, which is a different kind, completely different kind of difficult conversation. And yet it raises anxiety and we're uncomfortable. And the key, the key move that I got out of that conversation was that we could prime ourselves going in ahead of time by saying, I want to be here. I'm glad you're here. I, I, I appreciate you. I'm, I'm happy we're doing this. And, and just that little priming, it was like four priming statements to get you into a space to have the, the discomfort, take the back seat so that the the shared meaning could take the front seat. I, I'm appreciating how, and just realizing how, when you want to have a tough conversation, especially about intimacy, it kind of is a sales call. <laughs> it kind of is like, okay, I have a pitch. I want something. Yes, yes. Now what? Because a lot of times it's about, I want to try something new, or I have something that's been not working for me, or um, maybe you're finally ready to address some way that you've been touched like that has never worked for you. And you know that you have to actually, there's going to be some persuasion that has to go on. It's not just a simple, if I request this, my partner will automatically assume goodwill and will automatically want to adapt to this new idea I've brought. I'm thinking about like introducing some new kink behavior, like even something very, very mild, very, very um, tame in the realm of kink behaviors could be a really stressful conversation to have because you know going in that their their reaction could be anything. So if you started with, okay, how do I get get myself ready to be positive, to be upbeat? That in itself is like stepping past the anxiety for you, knowing that your partner may still have their own anxiety. Yeah, I guess like one person's less anxiety is a win. <laughs> Yeah. And that's exactly it. And it's funny as you're, as you're saying that to me, I'm like, I just said, I don't like techniques. And then I'm, I'm still spitting out like potentially techniques. So it is my relationship to this word, which is so interesting, but, um, you know, also thinking about, yeah, we are, our, we are our own cheerleaders here. And, um, a lot of the work of, of couples therapy is in recognizing that I'm my own separate person and my partner is their own separate person and they're going to have their own reactions and thoughts and feelings and they can have that and that's okay. And I don't need to join them there. It doesn't define me. <laughs> no, it doesn't define me. I don't need to take it on. I don't need to take, if they get upset or if they get anxious themselves or, you know, if they get angry, you know, I don't need to bring that into my orbit. I can, I can 
stay steady within myself, um, stay centered, hold myself in loving warm regard and bring a level of curiosity to that potentially, Hey, let's pause. We can talk about this later. You know, I can stay here within my own sort of like with my like little, um, glass wall, invisible psychological boundary, you know? And we don't Um, have to want the same things sexually as a partner to simply want to have exposed them to each other. I I find that comes up a lot where sometimes it's not so much that I'm asking for something new um, as I just want to be seen for like, this is me. This is my intimate self. This is my, this is how I experience sexuality. Sometimes it's something my partner can't even give me, but I want to be known. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm bisexual. My partner, my, my primary partner is a man. He can't give me that thing, but sometimes I want to bring that to him and just be witnessed for my reality. And that brings up a lot of anxiety because I worry whether he will be able to hold that space and not feel somehow like he's incapable of meeting me. And that could be any, any topic. I mean, this one's really crisp because obviously he can't be a woman for me. Um, but there are, there are so many things that we might want that our partner is either not, not interested in or just not ready to or whatever. But the witnessing, I think, is where the real magic is because we don't have to do the things that we want to be able to talk about. Well, and I'm so that. glad you brought that up. Absolutely. Because to me, anxiety is such a paralyzing force, right? Like it just... Oh no, I won't do that. Oh no, I'm not going to say that. Oh no, I'm not going to try that thing. Oh no, I'm not going to bring this this to the conversation. And so we just end up not revealing, not trying, not risking. And um, and so I think another thing that is important as we approach these kinds of conversations is to remind ourselves that like a most of us, most of our relationships have gone through a lot and are still moving along. And so there must be some good stuff in there. And so to also like give your relationship some credit, like it's stronger than you think a lot of the time. And, and then also like you're saying with, you know, okay, maybe I had a great day in that conversation. Maybe my partner didn't have their best day, but it was ultimately a win for the relationship because um, I am revealing more of myself and that's intimacy building. And don't we want to keep that ball rolling in our relationship? Don't we want to continue to expand on the intimacy in the relationship and let our partners know that, you know, you can talk about anything, you can bring anything and share who you are and I can do the same. And, 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 and again, like you're saying, we're not going to be able to be everything for one another and that's okay. Um, but isn't it cool that we can talk about that? Isn't it cool that we can be honest and say, oh, you know, I'm really into that. So that's kind of a bummer, but you know, maybe we can try this or, you know, just to have that awareness, um, that I think a lot of couples, a lot of relationships miss now. It's like, you need to be my everything. I'm not getting my needs met. Our partner's not going to fulfill our needs. Our partners are not going to fulfill all of our needs. Can't, you know, and again, how cool is it if we can just acknowledge that reality and talk about it? Yeah. I mean, polyamory doesn't fix that problem either. No, No. that's a, that's a self problem. There is no, there is no amount of other you can have that will take the place of relationship to capital S self. And so, but that witnessing is so tender. And I, I have found that it, it is something that can help me transform anxiety, something that has been a really negative thought pattern, something that's been like 
decades even. And I, I just dealt with one, like I'm in the midst of one with my partner right now. Like we are wrestling with it. And it's keeping us up until one or two o'clock in the morning because I have something that's going on and that's when it wants to be dealt with. Right. Yeah. But I'm noticing that the, the witnessing is the primary um, move that like, that's all that needs to happen. Really. It doesn't, it, I used to feel like it had to be a, an action. Something had to actively change in the relationship. We had to be doing a new thing or had, there had to be a new rule or something like that. And when I let go of that and, and moved toward witnessing, I noticed my own anxiety felt more manageable because yeah. I stopped needing to think my partner and I needed to get onto the same page instantly. Like, yeah. Listening is yeah. not so hard, but reinventing the whole relationship, that's a lot. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Listening is not so hard. And, and again, it's, hugely intimacy building. And, and, and to me, that is, I mean, that's certainly what we're working on in therapy. You know, people come in with all kinds of different struggles and I'm always, you know, I'm talking to them about, okay, let's work on the struggle. But I also hope that by the time you walk out of these doors, that you're feeling more connected, that you know how to continue to expand on the intimacy in your relationship in different ways. And that you've learned a great deal about how to do that, you know, and how, you can continue to um, continue the conversation around your your sex life, your intimacy in a way that feels completely different than prior to when you came here, you know? Um, so absolutely, I think that the witnessing is is super huge. And just the acknowledgement that, it, you know, again, we're human and we can't be everything to one another. And so um, let's manage our expectations around that. Paula, do you have any books or... Um programs you recommend that people could check out to learn more about this? To learn more about anxiety and relationships in particular? Anxiety about, yeah, speaking up about what you want. Mm. Gosh, there's so many good, so <laughs> many good books. Um, and I, none that I can think of that is specific to anxiety and speaking up about relationships, but some really good ones about, um, some of the primary sources of anxiety in relationship, you know, so a lot of people have heard of Esther Perel's work um, and mating in captivity. I think that that's a really big one. I mean, I see so many couples, um, gosh, I can't tell you how many people come in, you know, cis hetero men, I have to stop watching pornography. I have to stop masturbating. I have to stop because, you know, it's my partner is incredibly anxious about this. It's causing all kinds of trouble in our relationship. And again, this is, you know, there's a lot to learn about sex and sexuality here in a situation like this, but this is also about like the, you know, how we kind of control one another because of our anxiety, our anxiety, also the natural reaction, you know, shut down, pursue control, um, which is why control after the other in order to, exactly. to feel safe. So exactly. mating in captivity, I, I I would second that recommendation. It's, she introduces just the idea that we can, there can be space difference between us. And, and that is so important. It's important. If we want to keep, like, if we want to keep passionate, thriving sex alive in our relationship, that that distance is huge and it's critical. And, um, and, you know, and you see this often in situations where there's been infidelity. So I'm really anxious because what I knew about my relationship or what I thought I knew about my relationship has been sort of fractured. And so now my reaction is from that anxiety is I want to see all your text messages. I want to be able to go through all your emails. I want to 
um, know exactly. I'm gonna put a tracker on your phone so I know exactly where you know all of this stuff. Unfortunately, though, um, anxiety is um, it is tirelessly hungry. It's it never is. satiated. It eats itself. <laughs> it does. Yeah, it does. You answer one question and you know, and it brings up twenty more. Right? And it can be from a past relationship. That that Absolutely. fracture doesn't even have to be in the current relationship. That could be Absolutely. a past relationship, and now you want that control over future relationships. Mm-hmm. But the control is, it is a double-edged sword. It's a double-edged yeah. sword. It again, you know, again, it just feeds it. It really just feeds it. You know, what it comes down to at the end of the day is that, um, again. You know, oftentimes with infidelity, especially, it's like, we, you know, the, the partner who has been wronged, quote unquote, who has been cheated on, wants a ton of information about what's gone on, again, to help satiate that anxiety, um, tons and tons of information. It isn't really doing anything except for stirring up more anxiety. And at some point they have to decide, all right, this is enough, enough is enough. This is actually just torturing me. This is actually kind of masochistic in some way. And I have to decide to draw that line and jump again. I have to decide um, if I'm willing to risk getting hurt again, because that's what it comes down to. Because 100% safety is not accomplishable in relationships. We're never going to be completely safe. There's always risk, you know? And the illusion, so, the illusion yeah. is so attractive. It but is I'm really- hearing you say that learning to tolerate our anxiety to open the window of how, of what we can tolerate and actually still be in relationship, not be avoiding and not be aggressing and, and be in, in true relating is like, that's the, that's the goal. It's not to be in perfect relating, but to stay in that window of tolerance where we're, we're able to, to stay with the process of being with another person, which is hard. Nobody tells us how hard that's going to be. No, nobody tells us how hard it's going to be. It's absolutely true. And you know, um, it is in sort of being the one that is asking for all the information. I am the one that has been wrong. That puts you also in kind of this power position um, where you owe me and you're indebted to me and you have to earn my trust back and you have to do whatever it takes to earn my trust back. And that's another like really abstract. Bottomless. It is. Absolutely. When do we know? How do we, are we ever going to feel like the trust has been earned back? Because when you want safety from the outside, you can't have it. Yeah, exactly. And for some people, the trust is is forever altered. It doesn't mean that we can't make huge improvements and we can't get to back to a place where we feel really great in the relationship. Yeah, because the trust was from an unknowing place. It was from an there's unknowing the, place. Now, once there's knowing, even like once it's entered the, I think of it as imagination work. Once it's entered your imagination, it can't ever leave. Yeah. Um, and and that's that's a different realm of problem to work on. But it's the good news is it's your stuff to work on. You don't actually need a partner to fix that. That's um, your stuff. It's your stuff. Yay. That's the thing. That's the thing is actually it's interesting to see that shift happen where you have to acknowledge that, yes, yeah, something has happened, which like you said, you know, now this has been brought into my reality, into my imagination. This is something that is different, has changed the story. And I'm feeling a type of way about it. And, you know, and it really has brought into clear focus that I will never really know my partner. I'll never really know this person. And if I can sit with the mystery of that, then maybe that will bring some good stuff into the, you know, again, maybe that can be intimacy building. Maybe that'll bring a deeper level of curiosity into our day to day. Um, But I have to decide that it's worth the risk to jump again, you know. 
Um, so yeah, Esther Perel's really great. <laughs> <laughs> well, Paul, I think we could probably talk about this subject all day, but oh my you, you've given us some really good tips to start with, and we really appreciate your advice and experience with this with this huge topic. Where can everyone find more information about you? Um, so um, I have, as I mentioned, a clunky Instagram page. I um, think it's coming right along. Thank you. <laughs> You're so supportive. <laughs> I, really, I, I feel I feel like you should just claim it. Your your Instagram page has nuggets of of beauty right there. Thank you. Thank you. It's it's got some nuggets. Um, so it's Paula Leach Therapy on Instagram, and then I've got a, a website, which is just paulaleach.com. and um, and so and you know folks can find me there. Email, reach out. I'm always happy to to talk with what I have to offer. <laughs> Great. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show today. We really appreciate you talking with us. Thank you so much. It was so great. Jolie and I hope you love listening as much as we love making this show. If so, tell us by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or share it with a friend. Claim the Stage is a production of Speaker Sisterhood and is produced in the Glitter Closet in Holyoke, Massachusetts. Music is composed by Kelly Vogel of Sound Passage. All right, that does it for us this week. Until next time, stop waiting, start creating. Bye for now. <laughs>